You may be seated. Good afternoon, beloved. Our Father so loved you that he sent his only Son to die on the cross and rise again. Beloved, you need to know that the Father loves you so. Your elders love you so. I love you so. So good to sing these glorious truths. Please turn in your copy of God's Word to John 11, verse 25. John 11, verse 25. Friends, what a joy we have to gather this Lord's Day, this first Sunday of the week, when Christ rose from the dead. Friends, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ rose bodily from the grave, but his work continues to this very day. Christ has conquered the grave and now offers his life to everyone who will receive his word. It is his word and his word alone that has the power to raise the dead and give hell-bound sinners like you and me his glory. Friends, every time we open the scriptures, we are listening to the life-giving words of our risen Savior. We must pay close attention to what he has to say. But before we begin and read God's word, let's first ask the, let's ask the Father for the Spirit's help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for sending your only son to pay the ransom price for our sin. We thank you for the everlasting hope of Christ's work on the cross, his death and resurrection. Lord, we ask that your spirit will open our eyes that we might behold the glory of Christ. We ask that you would show us his glory and that we might respond with hearts of joy and faith. Lord, we ask that your word would do the work to build your church, and that you might call many sons to glory. Lord, we especially pray for those who are suffering in our body, that you will comfort them with the hope of Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Now turn to the gracious and all-powerful words of Jesus Christ in John 11. I'm going to start from verse 17 for context. So look at John, John 11, verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. On April 5th, 1943, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was arrested and thrown into prison by the Nazi regime. Bonhoeffer was a German pastor during World War II, and he publicly opposed Hitler's systematic slaughter of the Jews. For over two years, Bonhoeffer woke up every single day in a German prison knowing that that day could be his last. And on April 9, 1945, the orders of his execution came, and Bonhoeffer was hanged. Years later, a doctor by the name of Fischer Holstrung recalled what he saw the day of Bonhoeffer's execution. And quote, Through the half door in one room of the huts I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer, before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a short prayer and then climbed the steps of the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued in a few seconds. In almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. In 50 years as a doctor, he had not seen a man so composed, so at peace, so comforted as he looked death in the face. Bonhoeffer knew something or someone that gave him comfort in those last moments. Now, friends, you may never be imprisoned like Bonhoeffer, but you need to know today that you also sit on death row. You see, the moment our first parents rejected God's word in the garden, this whole world was plunged under God's curse. And each one of us was born into this rebellion. Each one of us has been handed God's death sentence. You and I deserve to die. You and I will die. And you are reminded of this truth that you will die every single time. You get a cold. You hear news of another friend who passed away. Your back aches. You have an ongoing illness. You're reminded every single time that one day you will die. So when you face heartache, when you face suffering, when you face pain, where do you find strength? Where do you turn for comfort? In our passage this afternoon, we find the source of all comfort, that same comfort that was there when Bonhoeffer died. You see, Martha and Mary had lost their brother Lazarus. And even though Jesus came to Martha and Mary to raise their brother from the dead, 
we, we see this beautiful conversation before that between Jesus and Martha. As Martha struggles to understand the death of her brother, Jesus offers himself as the only comfort in life and death. He turns her eyes to behold the resurrection and the life. So in John eleven twenty five to 26, we see that Jesus tells us two truths about himself. Two truths about himself, which is our only comfort in life and death. First, we see that Jesus is Lord over life and death. Look back at verse 21. At this point in the narrative, Mar Mary and Martha have already asked Jesus to come heal their brother. We see in verse 5 that Jesus intentionally stayed back. He knew that he would raise Lazarus from the dead. When Jesus arrived in Bethany in verse 17, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Without a shadow of a doubt, he was dead. So when Martha heard that Jesus had come, she went out to meet him and said this in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha was clearly confused. Jesus, why did you not come earlier? If you had come, you would have healed my brother. So Jesus, seeking to comfort Martha, tells her what he is about to do, that he's literally going to rise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, Martha did not understand what Jesus was going to do, and so Martha responded, saying, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You see, Martha probably thought that Jesus was trying to comfort her with a commonly held belief known as the eschatological or end times resurrection. This was the belief that God would raise his people from the dead on that last day. For instance, think about Daniel 12, verse 1. He writes, God's people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So this is a promise that Martha probably was being comforted by. She probably thought Jesus was speaking of that last day resurrection where the dead would rise, some to life and some to death. Now, while this is true, Jesus wanted to strengthen Martha's faith. He wanted her to see the glory of Christ and the source of true comfort. So in verse 25, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, that end times resurrection that you speak of, I am that resurrection hope. I am that eternal life that you are comforted by. I am the resurrection and the life. D.R. Carson explains what Jesus is doing here. He says, Jesus' concern is to divert Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what took place on the last day to a personalized belief in him who alone can provide it. Say that again. Martha's focus from uh, Jesus' concern is to divert Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what took place on the last day 
to a personalized belief in him who alone can provide it. Just as he is not only the one who gives the bread from heaven, but himself is the bread of life, so also Jesus not only raises the dead on that last day, but he himself is the resurrection and the life. There is neither resurrection nor eternal life outside of him. Outside of Christ, no resurrection. Outside of Christ, there is no life. If you want to know the comfort of the resurrection, he tells Martha, then you need to know me. You need to know the personal benefits of Christ. Christ alone must be your personal Lord and Savior. You see, the gospel is not some abstract idea that God loves to save sinners. It's not some intellectual concept that God is a God of love. Rather, the gospel is deeply personal. It confronts the secret of your heart, exposes the depths of your soul. You see, Jesus Christ must deal with every single one of your sins so that he might give you eternal life. But maybe you're thinking, well, what qualifies Jesus to make such a claim? It's a pretty big claim. There's no life, no resurrection outside of Christ. How can Christ say such a thing? Well, the Scriptures give at least four reasons. Four reasons why Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. First, Jesus is the author of life. So turn back to John 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel. John 1, verse 1. Listen to how John begins his gospel. He writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made, that, anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Skip down to verse 14. And the word, this word of life, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God through whom all things were made. All things. He upholds all things in the universe, even now. He holds all things together. He upholds all things by the word of His power. He is personally sustaining every single one of your breath. Every heartbeat, every thought, He sustains you, even at this moment. He is the author of life and the sustainer of life. He is the omnipotent God, eternal in power, eternal in life. More than that, God created you for a purpose. Jesus Christ created you so that you might worship Him. And Jesus Christ, we see in this text, became a man 
in order to reveal His glory to us. He shows us His glory so that we might see the glory of Christ and worship Him as the giver and sustainer of life. So Jesus is the author of life. But number two, Jesus is also the obedient son. So how can you honor and glorify God with your life? You've been given life. It's a gift. What does it mean for you to worship God with your being? By obeying his commands. This is the plain teaching of scriptures. We worship God through our obedience and faith. In fact, we see in the scriptures that obedience is the only path to life. So think about what God tells Israel in Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. He says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, and by keeping His commandments and statutes and rules, then you shall live. Obey, and you will live. But, verse 17, if you turn your hearts away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. Choose life. He sets life and death before us, and he says, obey my word and choose life. But just for a moment, think about your life. Have you honored Christ with every thought, word, and deed? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength? Each one of us, the answer is no. All of us have turned away to worship what we, love our, what we love the most, which is ourselves. But every time you choose the path of rebellion, we see in the scriptures that Jesus Christ chose life. In the flesh, in the incarnation, Jesus Christ was tempted just like you and me. He was tempted to sin like you. But he did not sin. He was perfect in obedience, holy in every way. So just think about this back past week. Think about the ways you've been tempted. Think about the things that you struggle with the most. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's covetousness. Grumbling, complaining. Maybe it's anxiety or fear. Maybe it's lust. Jesus Christ was tempted in every way that you have failed and obeyed his Father perfectly. He is the obedient son, and he alone has achieved righteousness. He alone possesses life. So he's the author of life, and he's the only one who's obeyed God to receive life. But third, the scripture tells us that Jesus is the death-conquering lamb. He's the author of life. He's the obedient son who achieves life, and he's the death-conquering lamb. So tell me, what, what does disobedience deserve? Your disobedience to God, what does it deserve? Death deserves death and hell. Think about our first parents in the garden. Adam and Eve enjoyed life, God's life-giving presence as they trusted and obeyed. But do you remember that warning? 
What did God say? For in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat of that tree, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Adam and Eve chose to believe the lie of the serpent, disobeyed God's word, and plunged all of creation into death. Each one of us has been born into this rebellion, and each one of us deserves to die. As Romans 5:12 explains, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Just like Lazarus, you will face death, and you deserve it. But that's not the worst of it. The author of Hebrews, uh, the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 9:27 that it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. There's something coming after death. One day you will give a personal account. Just think about this. You'll give a personal account of every single thing you've ever done. Every word. Every careless word. Every sinful thought. Maybe even something you're thinking now. You will give an account. You'll be exposed before the judgment seat of God. And if you are left to yourself, you will be hopeless and undone. There is no way you can stand before God and justify your sin. God will hold you accountable for everything you've done. That thing in secret that you did last week. Or that lie that no one knows about. God will judge you as guilty guilty as charged. And the sentence, not just physical death, eternal death in hell. Eternal death in hell. That is what our sin and our disobedience deserves. Friends, if you're scared when you bump into death, so think about times you've bumped into death. Maybe you were in a car accident or you nearly got in a car accident. Maybe you endured a severe illness or felt that you were almost going to die. If you're scared by that, how much more should you be frightened by God's wrath? You need someone who will personally stand between you and God. And friends, this is the good news of that Good Friday. You see, the very reason Jesus came to earth was not just to live that obedient life and achieve life, it was so that he might die in our place. You see, Jesus here is pointing Martha, even now, to that death and coming resurrection on the cross. He's pointing Martha to that Good Friday where he will die in her place so that she might live. Jesus Christ bore the full payment for your sin by becoming a curse on that rugged cross. The author of life bled and died the death that you and I deserve. He drank that bitter cup of God's wrath reserved for you and me. He died on the cross for our iniquity. Fourth and finally, we see the scriptures show us Jesus is Lord over life and death. He is the author of life. He's the obedient son who purchases life. He's the one who conquers death, and he's the one who's Lord over life and death as the risen Savior. 
On Good Friday, Jesus died on that cross and was buried just like Lazarus. What's going on in John 11 is being foreshadowed, is foreshadowing what's going to happen to Christ. Christ will die on that cross and he will be buried in the grave. And for three days, the grave will be silent. But on the first day of the week, on that Easter Sunday, a man rose from the dead. Breath entered his lungs again, and Jesus Christ stood victoriously over the grave. Death could not hold this man. And by his death and by his resurrection, he crushed the work of the servants and reversed the curse of sin and death. He was raised on that day for your justification so that he might intercede on your behalf. He credits or gives to you his righteous life that he lived so that you might be able to receive eternal life. So that you might be in the courtroom of God be told righteous, not guilty. The guilty become not guilty. The unrighteous become righteous. The sinners become holy to God. You see, that eschatological resurrection that Martha was looking forward to happened on that day when Christ rose from the dead. He is the firstborn of the new creation. He is the first fruit of the new creation that we will enjoy if we are in him. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. He alone has the authority to give life and death. He is the Lord and King of life, and He has the authority to give it or to take it away. Friends, you must know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You must know Christ personally if you're going to enjoy the resurrection and the life. He alone can give you true and lasting hope and comfort. But the question remains for us, how does one receive that comfort? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. If he is the author of life, who obeyed and achieved life, who atoned for our death, who conquered the grave, how do we receive the benefits of Christ. We do it by faith. We do it by faith alone, which leads us to our second point. Jesus Christ gives eternal life to all who believe. Look again at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Faith in Christ is the only necessary requirement to receive all the benefits of his death and resurrection. You must be united to him by faith. And we see here that Jesus gives two guarantees. Two guarantees to everyone who believes. First, whoever believes in Christ will be raised. Whoever believes in Christ will be raised like he was. Did you see that in the text? Look again at verse 25. It says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
Jesus here is not referring to conversion. He's referring to our bodily resurrection on that last day. And we know this from context. We know that Jesus was comforting Martha with the hope of the eschatological resurrection, that end times resurrection when God's people will be raised from the dead. And he pointed Martha to himself. He says, I am that resurrection. I died and I rose. Trust in me. So all who die will live like Christ. We also know this because, Lazarus, uh, because of Jesus' use of the future tense, shall or will. He says, though he die, yet shall or yet will he live. You see, each one of us will die, but only the one who trusts in Christ will be raised bodily to the resurrection of life. Think about what Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, as he talks about that day of resurrection. He says, on that day, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? So our death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the hope of the resurrection for everyone who believes. Whoever believes in Christ, though you die, you will live. Though you die and your body is buried in the grave, your body will be raised from the dead. You will be resurrected, just like our Lord and Savior. Well, how, how does this truth help us? in our present circumstances. Last time we checked, no one in this room is dead. How does this truth help us now? That one day, though you die, you will be raised. Well, first, we see that the resurrection comforts us in our suffering. My friends, every disappointment you have, every hardship, every suffering, Every argument, every ache of your body, every death of a loved one is a reminder of this cursed world. But praise be to God that your high blood pressure or your aching back or your constant headaches is not the final say. Death is not the final say. Jesus gets the last word. And Jesus says that if you die, you will live. If you believe in me, you might die. You might suffer. You might have a quick death. You might die at a young age. You might die at an old age. You might have a full life. You might have a short life. It doesn't matter. When you die, guaranteed, you'll live. You'll live. In fact, we see that death is not the end of our life, but it is the end of suffering. 
Death is the end of all suffering. Every ailment will be cured. Every ache will be eased. Every tear will be wiped away. Listen, I, I don't know everything that you are going through. I don't know all of your physical ailments or emotional sorrows, sufferings at work, difficulties in your relationships, whether it be here or back home. I don't know, but Christ does. And Christ promises that all of them will one day end. The moment you die, all suffering will end. You will be given a new body, a new resurrection body. Friends, if you have lost a loved one, you know that your loved one, if they're in Christ, will receive a new resurrection body. This is the comfort we have in the resurrection the resurrection also strengthens our faith and our hope. We see in 2 Corinthians 1 that Paul tells of a time when his suffering and hardships were so great, the great and amazing apostle Paul despaired of life itself. Just think about that. Paul, the great apostle, the one who wrote most of the epistles, that great man of faith, despaired of life itself. That's how great his suffering was. But Paul tells us why that took place. Why did he suffer in such a way? It was so that he would not rely on himself, but rely on God who raises the dead. He says in 2 Corinthians 1.10, God delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. And that again, He's talking about the final resurrection. The resurrection strengthens our faith and our hope. Even if He doesn't deliver you from a deadly peril, He will deliver you on that last day. You, a sinner who deserves eternal death, will be given eternal life. You who not only deserve to die, but to feel the anguish and torment of hell forever, you will know nothing but life and glory because of Christ. So let this truth strengthen your faith. When you face a sorrow or a difficulty, remember the resurrection. Put Christ's resurrection before your mind and heart. Meditate on the hope to come. Remember that Jesus, no matter what you face in this world, one day he will bring you home safely. One day all of us who are in Christ, all of us will stand before the throne and worship our Savior. All of your sufferings and hardships will melt away. There'll be a faint memory as you worship the glory of your risen Savior. So let the resurrection and the hope of his life strengthen your faith and your endurance when you face trials of various kinds. Thirdly, we see that the resurrection increases our joy. Friends, everything you enjoy in this life is just a foretaste 
It's just a shadow of life to come. The hope of the resurrection is that you will one day live forever, that you will enjoy eternal life. You will enjoy all that is good in God's world without sin, without sorrow. Can you imagine a day when there will be no more sin? Can you imagine what your relationships will be like with one another? Can you imagine the joy uh, unhindered from sin or unhindered from sleepiness, your weakness, your frailty, unhindered glory in the resurrection to come? In that day, our communion with God will not be by faith, it will be by sight. You will look with your own eyes into the face of God himself. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Friends, live for that day where your communion with God will be by sight, where you will enjoy perfect communion with God and perfect communion with one another around the marriage supper of the Lamb. Whatever fellowship that we enjoy here is a faint memory or foreshadow of that feast. Let that day be your hope and increase your joy. Rejoice in the hope of glory. As, first, as Peter says in 1 Peter, set all of your hope on the resurrection to come. We also see that everyone who believes in Christ will live forever. Look again at verse 25. So everyone who dies will live in Christ, and everyone who believes in Christ will live forever. He says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So in verse 25, Jesus is referring to the hope of our bodily resurrection. But here in verse 26... Jesus is talking about regeneration. You see this phrase, everyone who lives and believes, it's referring to one person, the the believing one, the living one. Or as the NIV translates, he is the one who lives by believing. This is the person who lives by believing. You must be born again to new life. Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus. You want to enter into the kingdom of God? In the hope of his resurrection, you must be born again. It is spiritual death, not physical death, that is our greatest enemy in need. When you are dead in your trespasses, you are blind to the glories of God, and you follow the passions of your flesh. Friends, you need the power of Christ's word to open your eyes and to raise you spiritually from the dead. You need a new heart You need new taste buds that only come from Christ. You need a new heart that loves the things of God, the things that Christ purchased for us in his life, death, and resurrection. And Jesus tells us that this person, this person who believes, this person who's been born again, spiritually born again, repents of his sins, trusts in Christ, he's a new creation. He says that this person... Will, shall never die. The person who lives and believes in Christ shall never die. 
or in the Greek, it literally means this person will never, never die to the end of the age. Never, ever die forever. What is Jesus saying? Didn't he just say that we would die and rise again? Now he's telling us that you'll never die? Yes, precisely what he's telling us. You see, when you are born again and spiritually made alive, you have the resurrection life of Christ. You receive in this life all the benefits, all the blessings of Christ's resurrection. You see, we live in this already but not yet age. So when you trust in Christ, you are raised with Christ, but not yet bodily. In such a sense that even Paul says, past tense in Romans 8, you've been glorified. Or that you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. When you've been born again, you are given the spirit of life. The very spirit who rose Christ from the dead. And when you have the resurrection life of Christ, you will never die. It's as if you will never die. As we read in 1 Corinthians 15, death has lost its sting. It's just an entryway into eternal life. It's not really death. It's just a passing from this life to the next. So what are some implications for us as we seek to endure in faith? For those of us who've been born again, who are trusting in Christ, who've been given his life and will never, never die. Well, first we see that we will enjoy the benefits of eternal life the moment we believe. The moment you believe, you are a new creation. The moment you trust in Christ, you enjoy the blessings of Christ. You will receive his assurance of pardon. You will receive his righteousness. You will receive his life. You will receive his glory. You also, in Christ, the moment you believe, have immediate access to the very throne of God where Christ is seated. You have this perfect intercession of Christ, whoever lives to intercede for you. You have the comfort of Christ, the joy of Christ, the hope of Christ, the compassion of Christ, the love of Christ, and the forgiveness of Christ, all given to you in this life. In fact, the Scriptures tells us that in Christ, there's now no condemnation so if you're, feeling to be, if, you're, if you're struggling to feel condemned this afternoon, if you're struggling to feel judged, then look to the resurrection of Christ. He was raised for your justification. No one but Christ can, can, can condemn you. And if the Son pardons you, then you will be free indeed. So we see that we will enjoy the benefits of eternal life the moment we believe. We also see that we will be given everything we need for life and godliness. You are given everything you need for life and godliness. The spirit of Christ who rose, the spirit who rose Christ from the dead now dwells in you. When Christ ascended to heaven, he gave the gift of his spirit, the helper to everyone who believes. The spirit is a guarantee of our future inheritance. The spirit also unites us to the finished work of Christ, his death and resurrection. 
So likewise, by the Spirit, through faith, we are called to die to sin and live to righteousness. We're called to abide in Christ each and every day. We have the gift of the Spirit, the gift of the Word, the gift of the church. We're called to abide in Christ by believing and obeying His Word. It's like being plugged into an electric socket. You must be plugged into the source of life in order to produce good works of life. The moment you start trusting your own strength, you will not walk in obedience. You will not be able to slay sin. You will not be able to flee idolatry or temptation. Maybe many of of you are depressed, or some of you are struggling to uh, kill your sin because you're trusting in your own strength. You're not daily abiding in Christ. You're not daily coming to Christ and reading the word of Christ and coming to him in prayer and asking Christ to help you and strengthen you by his word and by his spirit. If you're struggling with sin, repent of your sin and turn your eyes to Christ. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. Finally, we see in Christ that death is gain. Death is gain. When you are in Christ, friends, you will never die. Jesus paid the penalty of death so that you might be delivered from the fear of death. In fact, the Apostle Paul has the audacity to say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. When you are a Christian, death has lost its sting. In Christ, death is only the doorway into eternal life with God forever. Christian, the day that you die, you will see God face to face and live in glory forever. Do you you really believe this? Do you believe that Christ has conquered the grave? Do you believe that he gives you eternal life? Do you believe that you will rise again? And that in Christ you will never die. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? Your only hope, your only comfort in life and death. Friends, if you are not a Christian, do you believe this? Do you believe that Christ has the authority over life? The authority over death? Do you believe that you deserve to die and spend eternity in hell for your rebellion? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross for sinners? That he rose again, conquering sin and death, and offers you eternal life if only, if only you believe. Friends, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your religious background. It doesn't matter how old you are, how smart you are. It doesn't matter your history or your past. Just think about the thief on the cross. What good was that thief? Good is dead. He was dying. And why was he dying? He was dying for his own sin. He was deserving exactly what he got. He got what he was deserving. What happened to that one thief on the cross? He turned to Christ and believed upon him. Lord, remember me. Remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus turned back to the thief on the cross. 
Today you will be with me in paradise. All that thief had to do was throw himself onto Christ, to believe in Christ, to trust in Christ. That's all he requires of you, to believe. Turn from trusting in your own devices. Turn from trusting in the things you desire most. Turn from trusting in your own gifts or strength or righteousness. Believe in Christ alone. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Repent today and believe in Christ today. There's nothing hindering you but you yourself. Come to Christ. Call upon his name. Everyone who believes on the name of the Lord will be saved. And beloved Christian, if you're weary or struggling today, if you're struggling with faith, then do what the author of Hebrews says. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before you, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Every day, look to Christ. Every day, lay aside whatever sin, whatever hardship, whatever is hindering you, lay it aside and turn to Christ. Look to him. He is the Lord of life. He died. He rose. He is your comfort. He is your strength. He is the founder and perfecter of your faith. Look to him and trust in him. And he will safely bring you home. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is our only hope, our only comfort in life and death. Unto the grave, what shall we sing? Christ, he lives. Christ, he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. There we will rise to meet the Lord. Then sin and death will be destroyed. And we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious gift of Christ. We thank you for sending your only Son, the Son who died in our place, the, die, the, one, the Son who rose again to give us life. We thank you for the comfort and the hope we have in Christ. We pray that you apply all the blessings and all the comfort and all the hope of our Savior. Help us to believe. Help us to endure in faith as we await the day when our faith will become sight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.